Do you want the good news or the bad news? Don't you hate it when people ask you that question? The good news is God loves us. And He chose to send His Son to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus left the splendor and the glory of heaven. And He took on human flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And He came to this earth as fully God, fully man. And He lived a perfect life. He never sinned, he never did anything wrong, he never said a wrong word, had a wrong thought, was driven by wrong motivation, performed a wrong deed. He was spotless. And because he was spotless, he was able to go and die in our place. At Calvary, Jesus took our sin on himself. And even though we're the ones that have rebelled against God, we're the ones that deserve God's wrath and God's punishment and God's judgment, Jesus took that wrath and punishment and judgment in our place. Jesus, the Bible says, died for our sins. And then after he died upon the cross, he was buried. And early on a Sunday morning, three days later, Jesus Christ walked out of his tomb. Alive forevermore. The one who has defeated our sin and defeated death itself. Jesus Christ came to be our Savior. That's good news. Now, here's the bad news. Hardly any of us ever talk about the good news. Hardly any of us talk about what I just shared with you. And I want to show you this morning from God's Word that good news is meant to be declared, meant to be proclaimed, meant to be heralded. Look with me in your Bibles at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We'll get back in 1 Samuel after the new year. But I want to share with you some thoughts from the Gospel of Luke as we approach Christmas. And share with you some thoughts from a timeless story filled with wonderful, wonderful truths. Luke chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 1. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. 
Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, notice verse 10, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you what? I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Let's pray together. Father, it is such a privilege to be here today. In the presence of a holy God. A God that that chooses to inhabit the praises of your people. A God who has drawn near to us, even though we don't deserve your nearness. We don't deserve your presence. And yet you are here, filling up our hearts, filling up this room with your glory. And we are grateful for that. Now, Lord, I ask you to help us by your Spirit, by the Holy Spirit of God working in our hearts. I I ask you to help us to understand the full import of the good news. And God, make us heralds of that news so that your fame will go forth, your glory will show forth. Your greatness will be known in a greater and greater way. Would you lift up Jesus among us and help us to understand your word? And I ask you to establish my steps today in your word. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. For the next three weeks, I'm going to preach on one verse in the Bible. We're going to focus our thoughts on Luke chapter 2, verse 10, where the angels say to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. This morning, we're going to talk about good news. Next week, we're going to talk about great joy. I'm excited about that sermon. And then... The Sunday right before Christmas, we're going to talk about all the people. The gospel is for all the people. But this morning, I want us to focus our attention on the good news. The angel says, I bring you good news. I want to talk about what that news is and what that news means for non-Christians and what that news means for Christians. But notice the context of this passage. It's a a timeless story, a story we're all very familiar with, Luke chapter 2. By the way, just a quick word of encouragement. 
I, I suggest that on Christmas morning before you open presents, that you parents and grandparents gather the family together and read from Luke chapter 2. Read this story and remind everybody of the greatest gift that's ever been given. But at the beginning of Luke chapter 2, we see Mary and Joseph uh, coming to Bethlehem to participate in a census ordered by the government of the day. And as they are there in Bethlehem, Mary gives birth. She was a virgin. The baby uh, in her womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. And she gives birth in Bethlehem to a baby named Jesus, the one who left heaven and came to earth to be our Savior, to be our Redeemer, to be our Rescuer. And we learn in this text that there was no room for them in the end. The inns were full as uh, people came to their hometown for this census. And so she has the baby in a stable and lays baby Jesus, the king of all kings, in a feeding trough, a manger. But the, the major emphasis here is that Jesus has arrived, born in Bethlehem, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy hundreds of years before this event occurred. Micah tells us that a king would come to Bethlehem, born in that city. And so Jesus Christ has been born. Jesus Christ has taken on human flesh. Good news. And yet no one really knows about it at this point. And so the scene shifts to some shepherds. The, the lowest, uh, one of the lowest groups in society. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And all of a sudden, the sky lights up. They see the glory of God shining around them. They see a, a host of angels appearing to them. And they are, verse 9 says, terribly frightened. I don't blame them, do you? Terribly frightened. And so an angel appears to give them a message. He begins by saying, do not be afraid. The purpose of this of this." Appearance is not to cause you to fear. The purpose of this appearance is to tell you something. To share something with you. Some good news. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to share with you two truths about good news that come from this passage. That apply to all of our lives in Various and sundry ways. First of all, I want you to see the content of the good news. The content of the good news. What is the good news? What is it all about? Now notice there in verse 10, the Bible says, The angel said to them, the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. Now, you see that phrase, I bring you good news, five words, I bring you good news. In the Greek uh, New Testament, the original language in which the New Testament was written, this five-word phrase is just one word. In the Greek New Testament, the word is euangelizo, which means to preach the good news. It's where we get the word evangelist from, or 
evangelism. That's what the word means, to preach or to proclaim good news. And so the angel appears and says, you on Galizzo, I'm, I'm proclaiming to you, I'm preaching to you, I'm sharing with you the good news. The verb form of this word means to proclaim it. The noun form of this word is translated in our Bibles, gospel. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And so we look at that phrase, I bring you good news, and the, the obvious question is, what is that good news? What does that news entail? Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts. First of all, the good news revolves around a person. And the person ain't you, amen? And it ain't me. The good, that's bad grammar, but good theology. The good news revolves around a person. Look what the angel says. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And, and then, look what he says in verse 11. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. Someone has been born. It's a, it's a person who is Christ the Lord. Then look in verse 12. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And so we see here that this good news has something to do with a person. And even in the, the beginning phases of Jesus' appearance on earth, we see some insight into who he is. First of all, we see that he is fully human. A, a baby, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths. You'll find a baby born of a woman, a person. They would journey to where Jesus was, and they would see a baby, a person, a, a human. And they would see that because Jesus chose to take on human flesh. God chose to become incarnate. I love John chapter 1, maybe my favorite chapter in the New Testament. The beginning of that chapter says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. You say, well, who's this word? And down in chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, The word who was with God the Father and who was God himself, the word, listen, became flesh. Literally, in the Greek, he, 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 he tabernacled among us. He, he became flesh and pitched his tent among humans. And so we see this person that the gospel, the good news revolves around, was and is fully human. Secondly, this person is fully God, divine, deity. Look what the Bible says in verse 11. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice that phrase, the Lord. Make no mistake about it. The, the, the title Lord applied to Jesus here has overtones of divinity. The angel's saying that this one who is born to Mary is different from anyone who's ever been born or anyone who ever will be born. There's something different about this baby. This baby has made the angels sing. This baby has made a new star shine in the sky. This baby is different. He is a baby, but he is also Lord. I don't know about you, but when I was born, no one came to my room with golden frankincense and myrrh. Right? Anybody come to your room with that? Did kings come to 
to, to, to come and, and, and watch you in, in your bassinet? No. There's something unique about this baby. He's, he's fully human. He's taken on human flesh, and yet he is Lord. This speaks of his deity. Curios. King. Master. Lord. And so, right at the very beginning of the birth narrative, we see that the good news revolves around a person, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the idea of announcing good news of, of, of someone's presence who is important uh, was used often in the first century. As a matter of fact, there's a, a, a writing that historians have discovered that's very similar in the wording the angel uses, and it's applied to the emperor Augustus, the emperor of Rome. And it's found in an inscription about the celebration of his birthday. Do you think it's a mistake that the angel here is using some very similar language to describe the birth of Jesus Christ? I believe that here in this angelic pronouncement we see a declaration of the greatness and significance of Jesus over and above Caesar. That's the point here. He, he's, a, he's a baby born of a of a virgin, he's human, and yet he's Lord. He's master. He is God. Now this idea that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man staggers the imagination, does it not? It is, it is hard for us to wrap our minds around, hard for us to wrap our, our hearts around. There's a a Christmas story book that um, we bought for our kids last year. And uh, we love reading it for kids. It's called The Song of the Stars. Now at the end of that, at the end of that book, it makes this comment. There's a little baby, listen, laying out under the stars that he made. Think about that. There's this little helpless baby fully human laying under the stars that he spoke into existence wow fully god fully man the good news revolves around this person there's never been anyone like jesus there will never be Anyone like Jesus. I came across this quote from Warren Wearsby. Listen to what he writes about Jesus Christ. This, this will make your faith soar. You ready? He writes, you cannot escape Jesus Christ. His birth affected Caesar's politics. God moved on Caesar's heart to cause a census so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of prophecy. His birth affected Caesar's politics, the ministry of the angels, and the activities of common men. In that day, shepherds were looked upon with disdain. But God singled them out to be the first human messengers of Messiah's birth. His coming touched worshipers and even scholars. The angels sang about him. And he is still the theme of the greatest music. Luke wrote about him. And he is still the subject of the greatest literature. 
The shepherds hasten to behold him, and he is still at the center of the greatest art. Teachers listened to him and marveled. And he is still the focal point of all truth and wisdom. In his development, Jesus was perfectly balanced, intellectually, physically, spiritually, and socially. And he is still the greatest example for childhood and youth. He alone, Wearsby writes, is worthy of our worship. Oh, come, let us adore him. Isn't that good? Oh, come, let us adore him. I bring you good news, you angelizo. And this good news revolves around, centers around a person. His name is Jesus. But secondly, I want you to see that this good news not only revolves around a person, it focuses on his mission. It focuses on his mission. If I told you that we have a new mailman in uh, Hernando, you'd say, well, that's good. It's good to have a, good, a new mailman. And yet, for the next month, you never got any mail. You'd say, we got a new mailman, but he's not doing anything, Right? You see, Jesus is fully God and fully man. He came to do something. He came on a mission. And even here, in this birth narrative, the angels highlight this mission. Now, before we dive into what this mission entails, you need to understand that that good news is different than good advice. Here I just said, good news is different than good advice. The good news does not give us instructions to make ourselves acceptable to God. In other words, the good news is not God saying, okay, you need to try harder, you need to clean up your life, you need to, um, you need to earn your way to heaven. That wouldn't be good news, would it? If our salvation was up to us, that would be terrible news because we're sinners unable to save ourselves. There's no rest in that. There's no peace in that. There's no joy in that. There's no fulfillment in that. The good news is not good advice. It's not pick yourselves up by the bootstraps. It's not self-help. It's not works. That's not good news. Good news is that God did something for us. It's not you need to do something. The good news is God did something, right? In this person who is fully God and Fully man, this person did something. And that's the good news. Now look what it says there in chapter 2, verse 11. The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a what? A savior, a rescuer, a redeemer, who is Christ. Now, there's so much in those two words. A Savior who is Christ. The word Christ is, is the word Messiah. It's where we get the, the, the word uh, Messiah from. It's the Greek translation of Mashiach, the Hebrew word for Messiah. It, it literally means anointed one. And the Old Testament tells us that God is going to send an anointed one, a, a Messiah to do something about our sins. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. Some great 
soaring passages of Scripture, we see that God has promised to send someone to send a Redeemer, right? See, a lot of us think that that chapter 1 of the story of Jesus is his birth to Mary. That's not chapter 1. That's kind of the middle chapter. Chapter 1 is God, before the foundations of the world, listen, having a rescue plan firmly in place because he knew that we would need salvation. That's chapter 1. And we're here in kind of the middle of the story when Jesus Christ actually leaves heaven and comes to earth. And so here's the good news. Jesus was promised Messiah and sent for the purpose of rescuing people from their sins, Savior. So do you see the significance of those two phrases? A Savior, a rescuer who is Christ, the promised one. That's the good news. Jesus Christ came to do something. He came to do what was necessary. He came to do what was required to save us. See, for us to be saved, our sins have to be paid for, right? Our sins have to be forgiven. And Jesus Christ, as the God-man, fully human, fully God, took our place on the cross and paid the infinite debt that we could not pay. He paid the penalty for our sins. And then he rose from the dead, defeating the grave. He did everything necessary for us to be saved. So look there on your notes. The fact that we can trust Christ to save us, because he paid it all, is good news fact that we can trust Christ to save us because he paid it all is good news. You see, it's not, it's not self-help theology. It's not improve your life if you're going to make it to God. It's, listen, God did something for you. Jesus did something for you. And your role, your responsibility is to trust what he did. To stop trusting yourself, to stop, stop trying to save yourself, and lean fully on Christ alone, right? That's the good news. There's a person, fully God, fully man. And this person, this God-man, did something in human history in order that you and I might be saved. That's good news. And so we need to stop hanging around at the self-help section of Barnes and Nobles, and we need to open our Bible and say, I'm so glad that God has sent me a Savior. My only hope is Jesus. I will trust Him. I will believe in Him. I will follow Him. He is my only hope, right? So we see that the good news focuses on His mission. His mission. So first of all, we see the content of the good news. It revolves around a person, and it highlights what this person did for you and for me. But secondly, before we close our time down together this morning, I want to make a comment about the delivery of the good news. The delivery of the good news. Notice in verse 10, the angel said to them, the shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, one word in the Greek, euangelizo, I bring you good news. I proclaim to you good news. 
Now I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Good news by its nature is meant to be shared, right? That's what the word news means. It's something that people need to hear. It's, it's meant to be shared. And God intends for there to be, listen carefully, intends for there to be heralds for the good news. God always has plans in place for there to be witnesses of the good news. For there to be proclaimers of the good news. Now, here in this text, it's angels. Then in verse 17, we see the shepherds passing on that good news. And then as the the gospel narrative unfolds, we see that Jesus calls to him 12 disciples and teaches them how to be witnesses of the good news and make disciples. And then in Acts 1.8, we see that Jesus wants them to make disciples and be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and uh, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So the good news is to go, go forth to the ends of the earth. The disciples begin to do that. One thing leads to another to the point where one day you heard the good news. Amen? When I was nine years old, my pastor sat down with me and walked me through the good news. And so, whose responsibility is it? We've seen angels, we've seen shepherds, we've seen disciples. Whose responsibility is it to be witnesses of the good news today? Whose job is it? The answer is, it's our job. You know how we know that? Over in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then he said, Teaching them to observe all. Everybody say all. All that I've commanded you. So you lead people to faith in Christ, and you teach them all my commandments. Now, did Jesus command his disciples to be witnesses of the gospel? That's not, that's not rhetorical. Did Jesus intend for his disciples to be witnesses of the gospel? Acts 1.8. So one of the commands there to teach new followers of Christ is to be witnesses of the gospel. And so if we're followers of Christ, if we're disciples, one of the commands of Jesus that we are called to embrace and obey is to be witnesses of the good news, to be proclaimers, to be heralds of the good news. God intends for there to be heralds for the good news. And guess what? You're it. I'm it. We're the heralds. God intends... For the world today, the church has been entrusted with this incredible news. And our job is not really any different than the angel. Our job is just to say, listen, there's good news out there that brings great joy. And it's for all people. It revolves around a person, Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Lord, my friend. My only hope. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. And if you'll, if you'll believe on him, if you'll, if you'll call upon his name, he will save you. That's our job. And it's really not that complicated, is it? It's just not. And yet, we struggle with heralding with sharing with proclaiming the good news can i give you this statement i want you to think deeply about this statement it's only good news to those that hear it in time right I mean, if someone dies and goes to hell and has never even heard the name of jesus it's not good news is it 
It's only good news if they hear it in time. So our job is to be like the angels, to be like the shepherds, to be like the disciples. We're to be the church. To just proclaim over and over and over again to a lost and dying world, to hurting and broken people, there is good news. That's our job, right? That's our job. So we're called to be heralds, but sometimes we act like the good news is top secret, don't we? My brother, when he was uh, in the Air Force, he did some computer stuff, and he had top-secret clearance, and, and, uh, and I, I knew I was kind of probing too much. When I asked him a question, he would change the subject, you know. He did that a lot. But sometimes we act like, listen, we act like the good news that the angels were proclaiming, the shepherds were sharing, is top-secret. Top if the conversation goes spiritual, we change the subject to avoid discomfort, right? Instead of in a very natural way. Now, I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm not talking about being weird. I'm just saying in a very natural way, saying Jesus is all the world to me. He means everything to me. He is Savior. He is Lord. He died. He rose again. You can be saved if you'll trust Him. That's what I'm talking about. Just in a very natural way, introducing your sphere of influence to Jesus. We're called to be heralds. And so, in our text today, we see the content of the good news we see the delivery of the good news. I hope that you understand this Christmas season is all about good news. And I hope that you will rejoice in that news. And I hope that you will. And I hope that I will. Because I struggle here too. I hope that we will. With joy in our lives herald proclaim that good news to a world that desperately needs to hear it it's not top secret amen